Please turn with me, take your copy of God's Word or your smartphone uh, and turn to the 26th chapter of Matthew, if you will. We're going to take a couple of weeks to look at Peter. What about Peter? I say often that God is in the details. And aren't we glad that Peter is in Scripture because there's a little bit of Peter in every one of us. For some of us, there's a whole lot of Peter in us. Thank you. Impetulant, impatient, impulsive. We know all the adjectives we could use to describe Peter. We'll talk a little bit today, then push the pause button And within the next couple of weeks, finish this up. But look at Matthew. We're going to jump around a little bit. Matthew 26, again, if you're just joining us, we're preaching through the entire Bible, Jesus on every page. It's taken us four and a half, I think almost four years to get to this point. And it's taken us over a year to preach really already through the book of Matthew with other dates and other holidays and things in between. But it's been such a joy to get here to this point. Look in verse 33 of Matthew Chapter 26. You know this very well. In verse 32, Jesus had said, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Now, I want to mention here, we miss often, we talk about Peter, but we we miss that last part of that sentence, and so did all the disciples. What? Deny him. So if you're taking notes right out in the margin, prophecy foretold destiny. Now skip down with me, if you will, please, to the next page, probably in your Bible, to verse 56 of chapter 26. So you have prophecy foretold, destiny. Now look in verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. And if you have a red marker or anything, underline this first part of this verse, verse 58. But Peter followed at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. See, we see prophecy foretold destiny. Now we see prophecy fulfilled desertion look in verse 69 of chapter 26 now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying you also were with Jesus of Galilee but he denied it before them saying I do not know what you're saying and when he had gone out to the gateway another girl saw him and said to those who were there this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth But again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to what? 
curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So this is prophecy followed denial. Prophecy followed denial. Would you agree with me this morning that God has a personal plan for your life? Would you agree? God has a unique personal plan for every life in this room, every life watching online. He has a personal plan for your life. He had a personal plan for Peter. He had a personal plan for the man named Dr. Livingston. And if, I, if you give me a, spare me a moment, I love how God uses people down through the ages. He opened more of the world's terrain than any other man in history. Driven on by the need for his medicines, a love for the people he met, and a burning faith in his Savior. His traveling equipment included his medical chest, his Bible, and his magic lantern, a crude projector used for gospel messages. He challenged the slave trade, charted his findings, and channeled a treasury of important information back to the Royal Geographic Society in London. David Livingston was born in 1813 in Blantyre, Scotland. As a teenager, he worked 12 hours a day in a spinning mill, paying his way to medical school to become a missionary doctor in China. But the opium wars happened, dashed that hope. And at the age of 27, he determined to go to Africa. He, he explored the vast continent, virtually unknown in his day by foot, canoe, and on the back of an oxen. In 1851, he discovered the Zambezi River. I've never been there, but I've always wanted to go there. My kids have said it's the most beautiful place on the earth. And in the next few years, traveled from the Atlantic coast of Angola to Mozambique. He was the first white man to cross Africa. Livingston was fascinated by the challenge of exploration and discovery, but his driving force centered in fulfilling God's commission to proclaim the gospel. Sent out again in 1866 to search for the source of the Nile River, Livingston was plagued with a variety of problems, including personal health struggles with malaria and dysentery. But he finally hunkered down in a small village called Ujiji on the eastern shore of Lake Tanganyika. This is where Stanley found him on November the 10th, 1871. The famous lines from Stanley are well known to those who have read the history of either explorer or evangelist. I walked up to him and doffing my helmet, bowed and said in an inquiring tone, Dr. Livingston, I presume? Smiling cordially, he lifted his cap and answered, yes. This ended all skepticism on my part, Stanley said. My face betrayed the earnestness of my satisfaction as I extended my hand and added, I thank God, doctor, that I have been permitted to see you. And in the warm grasp he gave my hand and the heartiness of his voice, I felt he was also sincere and earnest as he replied, I feel that I am most thankful that I am here to welcome you. Livingston refused Stanley's invitation to return to London in triumph. 
He pressed ahead in, in search of the Nile. His health would not permit it, however, and after wandering 18 months, he came to a village in the Yana district on the edge of a swamp. You probably know this part of the story. There his bearers found him on the morning of May 1st, 1873, kneeling by his bedside in apparent prayer, his head resting on his hands. They were unable to rouse him. The messenger sent by God had gone home to the Father. God had a plan for Dr. Livingston. God had a plan for Peter that was circuitous. And God has a plan for you and for me. Peter's story is not quite as glamorous and well-known by people today, perhaps. But he was no less called of God to a specific ministry. Here's a word that I want you to write down and think about. We say this often in our church. Peter was imperfect. God doesn't use perfect people because there are none. Thank you. There are none. He uses broken and contrite and repentant and stumbling but earnest people. We're not really exactly sure how Peter died, but, but we know this. God singled him out to the life of discipleship and sacrifice, and he was eventually called, you know the word, your name is now Peter because, uh, excuse me, the rock, because upon the rock I will build my church. So I want you to notice with me first of all today, what happened to Peter? How did we get here? Look again at verses 33 through 35, if you will. First of all, I want you to write down, if you're taking notes, notice Peter's absurd confidence. Peter's absurd confidence. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So track with me, if you will. This is very important. There are probably a myriad of reasons why Peter stumbled and a myriad of reasons why I stumble and a myriad of reasons why perhaps some of you stumble. But we know from Scripture, more specifically, why Peter failed. Peter failed, please hear this, but he wasn't a failure. Peter failed, but he wasn't a failure. First of all, Peter denied God's plan. P-L-A-N. Turn to Matthew 16, if you will. We might have this on the screen, I'm not really sure. Peter denied God's plan. Look in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter, think about this, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me if you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And I just want to push the pause button right there. And I want to ask, beginning with myself and all of us here today, what will you give in exchange for your own soul? Peter denied Jesus' plan. And certainly we've read today, Peter denied Jesus' prophecy. Verse 31 through 35 of Matthew 26. And Jesus said to him, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Then we know what happens next, don't we? We've read it a couple of times today. Peter denied Jesus' plan. Peter denied Jesus' prophecy. And ultimately, Please hear this this morning. Peter denied Jesus publicly. Verse 69 of chapter of the 26th chapter of Matthew, if you look with me there. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you, were also, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them, saying, before them all saying, I do not know where you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. We know this whole story. I could read the rest of this. We've read it now a couple of times. He began to swear and curse. I do not know him. We know about the rooster crowing. Here's what happened really to Peter. He denied God's plan for his life. He denied the prophecy spoken over his life. And he denied Jesus publicly. Peter caved to two big things. His fear and his pride. Peter had the right desire, did he not? He had the right desire. I love Jesus. I love you. He had the right desire. He had the right determination, did he not? But please hear me this morning. Peter had the wrong dependence. He he had the wrong dependence. He depended on himself more than he depended on the Father. As a result, Peter's consequences were severe. And I am a walking definition of so many times of having wrong dependence. My dependence is on me. Lord, I love you, and I know you love me. I know you've got a plan for my life, but this is moving a little too slow for me. Anybody with me? That we just depend, we we depend on ourselves, or God help us. We depend upon other people who we love and who love us. But then when we depend upon other people, and I'm going to say more about this a little bit later, and I'll say this very carefully, we become people pleasers. And we become people pleasers instead of the prince of peace pleaser. We're dead spiritually. And our lives are emotionally, spiritually, our lives are like this. We're up and down. So Peter had the right desire, the right determination, but the wrong dependence. Stephen Covey said it this way. I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. 
I want to say this to all of us, beginning with me. We need to quit playing the victim. We've all been victimized. I know it's happened to all of us before. You've had bad things happen to you. Some of you in this room had had horrible things happen to you, as I have as well. But when you and I live in that state of victimhood, the enemy has us right where he wants us. And so it's everybody else's fault. It's everybody, you know, when we start blaming everybody else, we need to look into the Lord's eyes and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and take ownership of what we need to take ownership of. Peter's absurd confidence. Now I want you to notice Peter's abandoned character. Abandoned character. Why did Peter sacrifice his character? Look at verse 56 again, if you will, with me in chapter 26 of Matthew. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Then skip to verse 58. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. First of all, Peter abandoned his character because, as we mentioned, he had an unhealthy confidence in self. That's why self-help books, although sometimes helpful, they can get you in real danger because they put self on the throne rather than Jesus Christ on the throne. An unhealthy confidence in self. Peter learned the hard way that we must look to God alone for our strength. So, friend, where are you today? Those of you watching online, where are you today? Are you looking to the Father alone for whatever strength you need, financial, spiritual, physical, emotional, whatever it is, so Peter abandoned his character because he had an unhealthy confidence in self. And secondly, he had a poor prayer life. A poor prayer life. If you were to ask me, Rob, what, what did you pray for as soon as uh, you quit checking your eyelids for cracks overnight this morning? What, what was the first thing that you prayed for? I would be able to tell you, probably because I was looking at this message, but I would be able to tell you, what, what would it look like for us to have a, a, a look into your prayer life or into my prayer life? Matthew 26, 39, look at that with me if you will. I hope I wrote this down right. Let me, look, let me double check real fast, please. I may have the, the wrong chapter. You know what? We have the right chapter, pardon me. Verse 39. He, Jesus, went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to who? He didn't name anybody else. He named Peter. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can I get a witness about this from anybody in the room? Man, Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to stay. We're going to have a 24-hour prayer meeting. You know, if we had a 24-hour prayer meeting here at Crossroads, these pews would come in real handy, wouldn't they? I mean, we, we can get, we try so hard, but we need to be, Men and women and boys and girls of prayer. So Peter's abandoned character, it was because of his too much confidence in self, his poor prayer life. 
Prayer is the work. Prayer, it, it, is, it is certainly easier to sleep than pray. An unhealthy confidence in self. A poor prayer life. Here's the other thing that made Peter abandon his character. Cowardice. That's a terribly hard word for a lot of us, including me. Cowardice. Pressure shows true character. Matthew 26, 56 says, all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the prophets forsook him and what? Fled. When the pressure's on for you and I, do you run to Jesus or do you run from him? Now I'm about to enter for the next few minutes a really difficult, challenging place that I pray I'm no one special. I have no illusions about my inabilities or whatever as a pastor. And I say that from the bottom of my heart. But I want these two things to land deeply in your spirit, in your heart, like it has mine. And I want you to think about these things and pray over these things over the next few days. So we see that Peter had an unhealthy confidence in self. He had a poor prayer life. He, he, was, a, a, he was a coward. Here's another thing. He warmed himself at the enemy's fire. Anybody out there? He warmed himself at a worldly, at the worldly or the enemy's fire. Now, turn with me to Mark 14. This is still part of this. Uh, this is Mark's account of this. Mark chapter 14, look in verse 53. Mark 14, verse 53 and 54. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is already speaking to you a little bit about this. Don't warm yourself at the enemy's fire. Someone put it this way, the enemy's fire, the worldly fire, if you will, is very attractive. A fire feels good. Kumbaya, my Lord. I mean, we know that. The worldly fire, the enemy's fire is attractive. I've been there before. Hey, Rob, come on up. Come on into our little circle here. Come on. Let's talk. The worldly fire is attractive. It feels good. A fire always attracts a crowd. In the south, somebody's house, and we have this in this room, somebody's house is burning down, and people drive to go watch the house burn down. It's crazy, isn't it? A fire attracts a crowd. But hear this, dear ones today. But the closer you get to the fire, the more danger you have in being burned especially around a worldly fire or an enemy fire. Let me change analogies just a little bit using the same word. Anybody in the room ever been hurt by friendly fire in a church? Anybody in the balcony, anybody watching? You ever been wounded by friendly fire?
Excuse me, the enemy's fire is attractive. The worldly enemy's fire is addictive. It's addictive. How many hours have us rednecks in this room stared at a fire? And we just have, and some of it's really good. I got saved around a campfire service near Camp Lake LaJoy, Chickasaw State Park. I have fond memories of being around that fire. And the enemy's fire is attractive. It is addictive. But the enemy's fire will annihilate you. I want to encourage all of us with this issue of friendly fire and some of the other challenges that we've had here. I want us to learn to invite around your fire, your home, your office, your relationships, your meal table. Invite someone around your fire and treat them like family, not like a defendant. Anybody a little weary of being put on trial? Anybody weary of putting people on trial? You just can't wait to say something to them. You, you know, they deserve it. They need us to say this. Peter fell because he warmed himself at the enemy's fire. And lastly, Peter fell because he was attempting to follow Jesus from a distance. You cannot follow Jesus from a distance, folks. Oh, I'll take a little, oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to punch my Sunday card. You know, I'm going to do all those things. I'm, you know, I, I'm going to say, yay, go God. But are you following him closely? And I just want to say this to anybody. I say this to myself. Anyone watching today, anybody, you may throw me out of here after this. But I'm going to tell you something. If you and I do not come close to Jesus and close to one another, treat, quit treating one another as defendants, having to defend themselves then the enemy will eat you and me alive. I beg you, as I say to myself, quit attempting to follow Jesus at a distance. Since he was not following Jesus closely, Peter was quick to deny Jesus. Peter did not understand or have assurance in the promise of Jesus, so he stayed at a distance. He denied him. The result of Peter following at a distance was denying and ultimately rejecting Jesus. You had that happen to a family member? Has that ever been you? Please hear this. You will always lose when you follow Jesus at a distance. You will always lose. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he calls you to follow him closely. Don't allow misunderstanding of God's plan and what you see in the natural world to dictate whether you follow Jesus or not. Are you following Jesus at a distance? Have you allowed misunderstanding or the storm or friendly fire that you may have experienced or experiencing to keep you from trusting Jesus? Are you? Has your distance caused you to start denying Jesus by not living fully for him? The good news, this has been heavy. The good news is that Jesus has not stopped loving you. 
He wants to restore your fellowship with him. Jesus restored Peter, and Peter never looked back. As a matter of fact, when Jesus restored Peter, we'll read more about that next time, he ended by saying, Jesus did, follow me, follow me. James 4, 7 says, draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. I'm not real bright. Push away from God and he will be far away from you, right? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Dear ones, let's passionately pursue Jesus and never look back. We will never be the same. Father, today, thank you for your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, is as piercing as a division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And now, Father, we stand judged. And every one of us in this room have a decision to make, to either follow you at a distance or follow you up close. And Lord, I know most every single person in this room, some very, very, very well, others not quite as well, new friends today that I haven't even met yet. And Lord, I'm sure that the vast majority of this room and even those watching today want to follow you closely. Dear friend, if you're here today and you've tried to follow Jesus from a distance, ask for, for forgiveness and come close to him. Dear friend, if you're here today or you're watching online, you've never said yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus right now. And every time I get to this point in the invitation as we're praying, the enemy lights the flame of trying to distract you. I've got kids in the nursery. I have a meal planned. I've got a busy afternoon. Uh, I'm too shy. Don't miss heaven because of those things. Don't miss closeness with Jesus. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, do it right now. Jesus, I need you. Tell him that. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I know my sin. Put Jesus on the cross. Tell him that. It should have been me. And right now, Jesus, I confess my sin. Tell him that. I acknowledge that my sin is an affront to a holy God. Please forgive me. I repent of my sin. Tell him that. And right now, August the 1st, 2021, Promotion Sunday, I receive you, Jesus, into my heart. I don't understand everything about you, but I know that I need you. Tell him that. Come into my heart. Save me. Change me. Make me who you want me to be. If that's the prayer of your heart, in just a moment, when we stand to sing the hymn of invitation, you need to be the first one down the aisle to tell one of our men 
I just gave my heart to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can call 901-309-7777. You'll likely get voicemail. Please leave a message. Someone will call you back as soon as possible. Maybe you would say, hey, Rob went too fast. I need Jesus in my heart. Would you just come? One of our men will help you just for a few moments understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And if Rowan and Lincoln and others in these past weeks can step into these baptismal waters to declare their faith in Jesus, you can too. If you've asked Jesus into your heart, we'll be honored to set up your baptism if you haven't been baptized. You're here today, you just need to come to the altar alone with someone, to one of the ministers, to one of our men. Come. I've told you week after week, even aesthetically, this altar was built for this reason to hold boys and girls when they sing and for the bended knee. Lastly, you're here today, you've been looking for a place to call home. I want to implore you like never before, if it's not here somewhere, please do not just be an attender. Be a family member of a church. It's important. I believe it's biblical. So if the Lord is calling you here today, you're imperfect like we're imperfect, would you come today? That would bless us greatly. So if you've given your heart to Jesus, come. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, come. If you want to pray at the altar or pray with someone, come. If we need to set up your baptism, come. If you believe the Lord is leading you to crossroads, come. Father, in these moments, from the top of the balcony to the overflow to the lobby to the choir loft, the choir room, the floor, would you move in every heart and every life? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to sing. Who'll be the first to come today, please? Oh, oh.